0: The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, Don. Good morning, Gary. Good to see you both today. Yeah. Good morning, Scott morning guys so you know i i don't maybe this is a good thing don but things were kind of calm this week we didn't hear of too many blips or jumps or dives or anything i guess that's a good scene a good
2: sign yeah, kind of interest rates are going up as per usual, maybe slightly down than last week, as we talked about, uh, you know, the Canadian rates only went down half percent And so, you know what, there might be some light to the end of the tunnel, and, oh, there always is. But uh, that's what, you know, this whole situation, with the interest rates is all about, which we're going to be talking about a little later on about the interest rate markets. But I know Gary has, uh, he's all talking about the CFPs today. Yes, yes, uh, actually, you know, I was
3: thinking about this and uh, I know that there's a lot of confusion out there because there's many terms that are thrown around within the industry. So, and, and all, all we have to do to to confirm that is just listen to what people say in conversation. So, you know, my financial guy or gal, (laughs) my, my investment person. And, and very rarely will you hear someone say my certified financial planner
2: very good point never have actually heard anybody say that
3: right right so i thought uh, you know the, the radio show uh offers a, a really this particular show or uh, this segment offers a terrific opportunity i think to discuss what are as cfps because of course our entire team uh are certified financial planners fox team and uh just to talk about our our fiduciary responsibilities to our clients uh, without getting into to great detail and in turn assist the listeners in terms of their understanding and their expectations of how their current advisor or future advisors are providing value to them by comparison. And we'll do this by sharing some uh, specific scenarios and and illustrations. So so let's start by, by contrasting two distinct definitions. So let's talk about investment planning which I'm going to elaborate on later, but investment planning, which is simply the process of aligning financial goals with one's investment resources. So investment planning is here's what you should do with your money based on a whole series of, of things. And, uh, and that's really in, in, a, in, you know, in, in the most brief form, that's, that's really what investment planning is about. Financial planning, of course, is a collaborative process you know, that helps maximize a client's potential to address the life goals, the lifestyle goals uh, that they have, you know, and that's that's through ongoing financial advice.
2: And, and it's kind of funny you, you go through that. It's awesome, first of all, financial planning versus investment planning. Even the commercials say, you know, we're gonna go over your financial plan. And then they say, so here's the investments we would recommend.
3: Yeah. Yeah, here's the pie
2: graph. Here's what yeah. we recommend. <laughs> right, totally contradicts what you're saying here, Gary.
3: Right, right, and and you know, so we're looking, you know, financial advice that that integrates all the relevant aspects of a person, of an individual's personal and their their financial circumstances. So, you know, I thought it would be helpful too to to, um, to point out that in addition to the industry regulators, and of course, we have a few regulators that we, uh, you know, we are working within th- their parameters. so the regulators govern supervise, they mandate they police all licensed advisors licensed advisors but there also exists another body that that uniquely oversees certified financial planners so so this is a this is an add-on in terms of uh, opportunities for for and for people that are looking for advice and that that uh, body is called FP Canada. Um, and, and they're a national professional body that works in, in, in the public interest. They were formerly known uh, as the uh, as Financial Planning Standards uh, Council, and they're dedicated to fostering better financial health for Canadians by leading the advancement of professional financial planning in Canada, and that is their verbiage. And so we have this additional body that, as certified financial planners, we are responsible to. In a variety of ways, which other licensed advisors who are not certified financial uh, planners are not. So um, I mentioned the regulators earlier. So you know, there's IROC and there's MFDA, and those are those are regulators that, depending on on the type of license an advisor has, um, you know, they're bound by uh, by the the parameters that are that are set out there. So. Getting back to FP Canada, and I just want to explain basically the impact that they have, first of all, on certified financial planners, and then in turn, on clients, to the betterment of, of clients. So it's through that organization that a financial uh, advisor can work or can earn their CFP designation by meeting and continuing to meet the rigorous uh, standards that FP Canada has, and they are unique uh, to certify financial advisors as opposed to other licensed advisors. So the CFP certification is the most widely recognized financial planning designation in Canada. We've talked about that before, but it's also throughout the world. It's a, it's a designation that exists in many, many countries throughout the world, and it is considered the standard for the financial planning profession.
2: And it's interesting to say that, Gary, because they often have, you know, we have to get what they call CE credits, Mm -hmm. in order for education credits but I can get those not only in Canada I can go to the U.S. and go to an FPA uh, association conference which I've done many times and collect the same CE credits they they work both sides of the border and funny enough people from Australia are going to the U.S. to get Mm -hmm. their CAE credits so yes it is a global entity.
3: Yeah and it's absolutely and that's a great example but it's very universal uh, to acquire your CFP in Canada depending on whether you wanna try and fast track it or work it you know, in with your, your business and so on. But it's, it's typically a three-year course. It's a, it's a three-year program. Uh, CFP professionals are required to demonstrate the knowledge and the skills, uh, experience and ethics uh, to provide holistic. And, and we always like to use the word comprehensive and personalized financial planning strategies and solutions, uh, regardless of, of how complex they may be. Now, less than half of the financial or investment advisors in Canada have qualified for their CFP designation.
2: In fact, uh, what I last read was was just just in excess of 30 percent. Yeah, that makes sense. We, we often find a lot of people fail because this is university quality courses. These are mm-hmm. these are not easy courses. And so, yes, we've seen people take them two or three times and still not be able to pass. Right. And you know, I I think this is
1: one of those uh, industries too. If people are looking to change or do something else, it reminds me of the real estate industry. If the market's good, all of a sudden everybody's a real estate
3: agent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and so you know, because of the qualifications that that are required, and Don touched on earlier the CE credits, which I'm going to talk about uh, in in a moment. But um, you know, the standards are different, and they're beyond what licensed advisors have to have to do. And so, you know, it really begs the question, you know, would you choose to have a non-certified mechanic work on your car? Would you choose to have a a non-certified health professional, uh, an accountant, a lawyer, et cetera. So, you know, this, this added certification uh, why more advisors don't acquire this designation is beyond me, but it it definitely is, is the gold standard in in the financial planning
2: uh, arena interesting enough Gary also is you know you you're paying the same price though. so mm-hmm. if you're sitting there with a non-certified financial planner versus a CFP, the cost is the same for both advice. but again like your example with a, an accountant you h r block or whatever tax repairs they're not they' they didn't pass an accounting exam to do that but right. you wouldn't want to take your your corporate books to probably to the same entity. You wanna take it to a, 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 an accounting firm. Yeah, and,
3: and you know, the, the thing is in terms of the rules of conduct, cause there's really two things I just wanted to mention. The the rules of conduct for a certified financial planner are very similar to what we have to abide by from, from the regulators that everyone in, that's licensed has to abide by, you know, and they include, you know integrity, objectivity, uh, conflicts of interest, confidentiality, all those basic things that, that make sense. But what we alluded to earlier is is in addition to that, uh, let's talk about the the continuing education side of things. So, you know, there's there's a number of different areas that are continuing education. And these are courses that we have to do throughout the year. Uh, 25 hours over the course of each year of new uh, current credits. And, uh, and there's basically four categories. So under the financial planning category, which is the, the largest one, there's, there's financial management. And I won't go into the detail in terms of what these are, but financial management is, is basically uh, cash management, debt, debt management, et cetera. And uh, risk management, insurance management is another area, which is a whole separate discipline. Uh, tax planning, of course, retirement planning, uh, we do a lot of work on our team in estate planning as well, uh, not in the eleventh hour only, but along the <laughs> way, you know, yes. which is really important. And last but not least, of course, is investment planning, but it uh, it is not is it is not what financial planning is. It's a subset. It's a it's just a piece of the uh, the overall equation. So uh, financial planning is one of the categories. The other three quickly are professional responsibility. So we we have to. And we're, we're strongly encouraged to take courses in terms of conduct. And, and how do we professionally provide our services to our clients? And um, uh, you know, we look at ethical dilemmas and, and various challenges, and that's, that's part of the, the equation as well. Practice management, which is very significant because you know, our practice, the Fox Group, is, uh, is one of the largest in the entire country at IG Wealth Management. And, um, you know, it looks at, it, 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 helps you develop ideas and strategies about how you're going to grow the business in an effective way. So, you know, what are the knowledge and skills that, that you can, uh, that exist that you can build relationships, grow a professional practice, uh, provide, uh, service standards that are superior to clients, um, you know, from meeting agendas to, 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 the, the the service arrangements that we have with our clients and so on and finally it's product knowledge and uh, and product knowledge has become surprisingly uh, just recently has become from a compliance standpoint uh, very important in terms of know your product so that that speaks that speaks for itself so remember an advisor who has not earned a CFP designation is not subject to or required to meet the ongoing education requirements that a CFP is.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 nine, seven, two, seven, four, two, zero mysteries of the bond market. Don Halloween was last weekend. What are we talking about? You still oh, got, the, got costume the, hal- on.
2: <laughs> the Halloween you, hangover here. <laughs>
1: you've still got candy left at your house. Don't you?
2: Oh, I got a little bit. Thank you for asking Scott. Yeah. I kind of divvy
1: it up each day. <laughs> Do you oh, want to me? trade? I'll trade you some arrow bars for some coffee crisp. If you've
2: got it. <laughs> okay. Next show. Next show. Um, You know what, Uh, just before I start with the mysteries of the bond market, you know, just to piggyback on what Gary was saying, you know, it's absolutely amazing to know that how few people use a CFP, you know, and again, Gary just went over very, you know, in in detail, the benefits of a CFP, the fiduciary duty of us that is ingrained in in the ongoing product knowledge to keep that license, which is, by the way, audited. So it's not like it's uh, not policed at all. They randomly audit people every year to make it. I just sure had one, ca- Don. I just had one. Well, oh, there you go, Gary. Yeah, and how yeah. and how and how was that? It was great, fortunately. <laughs> yes. <He laughs> but said, it is he-
1: He's still here. Yeah, yes, he is.
2: <laughs> but they'll go through and make sure you've up, you've kept all your credentials, kept the hours, and they monitor the hours of what type of hours you spend. It's absolutely amazing. So this isn't just, oh, well, we got a CFP. We sometimes take it lightly because we just do it every day. We don't think about it. It's just one of those things. But those that don't have it, they don't go through this rigorous testing or policing. And funny enough, the average Canadian, only 4% of the population are using people that have a CFP. I find, that is, I find that, that
1: is unbelievable. That is really hard to believe.
2: That would be the first thing I would check. If they do not have a CFP, it's almost like a dating site. Okay, no CFP, swipe whichever way you swipe. I don't even yeah. know which way they go. But anyway, it would be the one that says no.
3: that's that's not good if you don't know which way
2: (laughs) yeah oh i've been married for 37 years now so i'm okay so 36 i've added another year but Uh, anyway no it's um it is uh they actually should have a cfp dating site maybe (laughs) <laughs> our, our financial planner you swipe 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 uh we, we do radio so maybe there won't be any pictures for a reason <laughs> but i digress Um uh, mysteries of a bond market it is um it's like one of the f- m- most amazing areas that people don't seem to know anything about and rightfully so you go on there. You talk. You listen to the news. Um, let's say it's any of our any of the new, you know the news or the newspapers. It's one of the best kept secrets. It's guys. It's too boring. Nobody wants to talk about the bond market. And funny enough, in 2016 is the latest data. Talk about can't find anything. I googled up and down trying to find information about bonds. It is so difficult. But in 2016, there was more than a hundred trillion dollars in bonds worldwide. And so this is debt. Basically a bond is a debt. You, borrow, you When you buy a bond, you've now lent money to an issuer. It could be a federal government. It could be the Royal bank. It could be ABC company. It could be Hamilton for they have municipal bonds. It could be anything. Anyways, it's, anytime there's interest, it's a sign there's a loan has taken place. So over $100 trillion is, is what is in bonds worldwide. Funny enough, what's the global stock market? In 19, 2016, it was $64 trillion. So the bond market is, is around double the stock market. But what does everybody talk about every, every quarter on the hour is the stock market. Bond market is like, oh, well, it's pretty boring, doesn't do much. That probably was the case up until this year. Um, and I'm going to go over that in a bit. But, you know, bonds can be, um, can you lose money in bonds, first of all? And the answer, very short, quick, yes. And this is a good year. You have lent money to somebody. You can always lose money when you lend money. But when you think, well, I lent money to the government. The government's still here. How can my government bond be worth less now? And there's an inverse relationship with with the interest rates and bonds. So to make it very simple, let's say last year, this time, you lent $100,000 at 2% to the federal government for 10 years. And that that was about the going rate. Well, now, and I'll I'll round it, that same 10 year bond is about 4%. So now, a year later, it's actually three and a half, but let's say four, bond, bond rates have doubled. Well, you've still got this thing for another nine years, this bond paying 2%. You've got this nice piece of paper showing I've got this bond for the next nine years at 2%, but the ones on the street are going for 4%. Your bond is worth less. And so what they do, they they manipulate what the value is based on the ongoing rates. And so since the rates are higher, your bond is worth less because you've, still got, you've got this low interest rate. Now the opposite is true. If a year later, the, you bought this 2% bond and now a year later it's worth the new bonds are 1%. Well, you're sitting there holding this very valuable bond for the next nine years, double the current rates, and you would get a lot more. Not only you get the 2%, but if you sold it, you would get a big premium because yours is worth more. It's paying two, the going rates are paid one. So that's basically how bonds work. And so there's a rating service. And so one thing about bonds is, okay, what, what's, how credit worthy are they? And Standard and Poor's is one of the, you know, one of three or four rating services, and AAA is the best. And funny enough, Canada is AAA. And you say, okay, well that's good to know. Well then there's AA still quite good. There's single A, yeah, still not, not as good, but still decent. There's triple B. Now you're getting into a different section, um, and then double B, and then and finally single B. Well, there's one area there when you get to triple B. And they go, when you go to triple B, there's a triple B plus, there's a triple B just neutral and a triple B minus. That triple B minus is the last leg or the last line of the sand, if you will, where it is no, that's the last of investment grade. Because when you get to a double B, you are now called, you're no longer investment grade. And you are gonna pay a lot more interest um, if you're trying to lend money. Now, if you're an investor, in a double B bond, you're gonna get a higher interest rate because there's more risk. So that's a big line in the sand. And by the way, those are often called junk bonds. So double B is called junk bonds, not necessarily means they are, you know, are junk. And I'll give you an example, Uh, Apple, uh, sorry, uh, um, Google under uh, Alphabet, it is a double A bond. Okay, very, very stable. Amazon is an A plus bond apple is a double a plus bond now going down through it you think okay well coca-cola it's only an a bond and funny enough ford right here in oakville or just down the road is a double b so that would be considered a junk bond Uh, tesla is only a single b and even though on the stock market they talk about how great a company and and how much and and how large it is if you look at market cap, um, the number of shares times the price per share. Everybody talks it's the biggest company now. Uh, it's rivaling um, the largest company, Apple, at the time. Well, it's a B plus bond. So if they go to borrow money, they have to pay a lot higher interest rate. So these are braiding services. Disney is an A minus. So those are just an, an example. Um, on the other hand, Canada, as I mentioned, is a triple A country in terms of their rating. Uh, Switzerland is also there. U.S. Funny enough, is not doesn't have the same rating. It's only a double A plus. Well, when I say only. That's actually still really good. But in con- now you compare to that to Mexico, it's a triple B. So if you're getting a Mexican bond, you'll definitely get a higher interest rate in a Mexican bond than you will in a Canadian government bond, because there's more risk. That's the rating. Uh, Jamaica, by the way, is a B+. So, obviously, a lot of risk if you're going to borrow Jamaica from Jamaica or lend money to Jamaica. And Greece is a double B. And we heard about all the issues that Greece has had in the past and, and bailing out Greece a number of years back. Well, their rating isn't all that good. So, I've often heard commercials buy Israel bonds or buy these type of bonds. And what they don't tell you about, what's the rating of these countries? And it'd be interesting to find out it actually didn't look at Israel, but uh, the actual interest rate is part of it. Now, there's other parts to a risk of bonds. One is a rating, okay? And the other part of it is particularly a foreign bond is the currency. So if you bought a, a U.S. bond a year ago, When our when our dollar was called 80 cents, and now our dollar is at 72 cents US. Well, that means the US dollar is 10%, has gone up 10% compared to our dollar. So if you put your money in a bond or just actually in a bank account in the US, it's gone up by 10%. So the currency also has a factor on what the rate of return of that bond is. And these are all worked into your rate of return when you have buy bonds. So when you're buying a a Jamaican bond, it might be paying 15%. This is great. But then their currency goes down and it could wipe out all that return. And so, okay, that didn't pay off too well. Well, what if they default? They're a high-risk bond. What if they default on it? Well, not only do you lose money because they're currency, now you may not even get the interest. And who's to say they're going to get rated even worse? And that I actually often happens. So there's a lot of uh, issues with bonds, and this is why I said it's a it's one of those areas that just there's not any discussion yet. It's the biggest area of investment, way bigger than the stock market, but nobody talks about it. So I was looking through the negative years in the bond market, and from 19 it went all the way from 1980 to uh, uh, 2021. And so 1994, the bond market, well, actually there's only been four negative years, minus 2.92%, okay, wasn't too bad. By the way, the stock market did 1.33%. So if you're in that kind of classic 60-40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% bonds, you more or less broke even. Um, Another year, uh, 1999 was negative 0.82%. Again, not even 1% negative in bonds. So again, pretty boring. By the way, the S&P 500, the US stock market at 23% that year. So that 60-40 mix is saying, hey, wow, I still did great. This is the idea of bonds. It's supposed to be the shock absorber. It's supposed to take off some of that risk of the stock market. Um, 2013 was minus 2%. Okay, but the stock market did 32%. So again, in that classic portfolio, yeah, you still made about 20% overall. And in 2021, last year, the uh, bond market was 1.5% is what you, you earned in the bond market with interest rates starting to rise. Stock market, 28%. And these are U.S. numbers, but at the end of the day, Canadian numbers aren't all that different. Um, the stock market is definitely different, but the bond market isn't. This year, with this massive increase in interest rates that we're seeing and we're talking about and it's hitting all the headlines, the government bond market in the U.S., and this is a... This is a um, standard and poor um, U.S. bond index. So this is a mix of many types of bonds, not just one specific type of bond. You have a negative 15.36% return year to date. And the stock market is down 18% year to date. So right now, that 60-40 portfolio did not work out well. You're both basically down about the same. And this is just one of those years. I tried Fine. to go Sorry, back. Don.
3: Sorry, when when you were talking about the when you opened with the inverse relationship, which again, a lot of people aren't really aware of or don't understand, you know, in terms of light at the end of the tunnel, of course, when you have a bond fund, where you have a number of bonds of different, different uh, composition, different maturity dates, and so on, bonds are moving out, and new bonds at the higher rate are moving in. So that's the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of this being more of a temporary situation, typically.
2: Absolutely. Every day, new bonds are maturing and they're getting the higher rates. So that's a great idea. And and, and thanks, Gary. So depending on the duration of the bonds. um, So if you have a floating rate bond fund, the average duration means that's when do they all come due? It's about three years. So the whole portfolio will, will turn over in about three years. So it'll catch up to the new rates really quick. But if you have a 20 year bonds, so the average duration is 20 years, which there isn't any, thankfully it's gonna really do horrific because of the spike in interest rates. In fact, a US um, index, a 20 year um, bond fund, did minus 36% year to date. And that's not even a full year. So this is because the rising rates. Now, definitely this is the risk of bonds and you have to understand there's risk in every investment and you've got to mitigate the risk by diversifying the types of bonds. And so, st- you know, in the last uh, 41 years, the bond market has outperformed the stock market 11 out of the last 42 years. Uh, stocks have outperformed bonds, the opposite, and, and generally have a higher rate of return. So they do mix well together. This is one of those years that didn't, to, to tell you, like, normally they always just talk about yields. They don't talk about the total return. And th- I, I spent a lot of time trying to find what, did the, the, what was the total return in the 1970s could not find it. I could find the yields, but they won't tell about the returns because interest rates were rising then. And I know the bonds were negative because my trainer, when I started in 1985, he was started at about 1977, 78. And he said to me, he says, oh, we came out with this bond fund. Well, interest rates went up very similar to now. We nicknamed it the bomb fund <laughs> Okay. <laughs> because it was brand new. And the first thing it did is interest rates went up and the bonds went down. Now that totally changed things. Correct themselves, and it did quite well later on. So there's basically two types of risk, or three risk, but mainly interest rate risk, meaning how long have you had the duration and credit risk. So five-year bonds have, you know, well, first of all, if you go to one-year T-bills, they have very low risk in terms of credit risk, and they have very low risk in uh, in duration, so interest rate risk. But when you get to the 30-year bonds or 20-year bonds tons of interest rate risk, as I was mentioning, the the credit risk is still low. It's still a Canadian bond. But then when you get into um, corporate bonds, as I mentioned, you have different types of risk. You can have the interest rate risk and the credit risk. And then there's the high yield bonds. Those are more of the junk bonds where you're having interest rate risk, not as much, but high credit risk. At the end of the day, you really need to diversify your bond holdings. And this is where you would have government bonds, provincial bonds, municipal bonds. So you want to diversify your bonds just like you diversify your equity portfolio. And together, you know, you're going to try to get the highest rate of return with the least amount of risk.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to pause here for a quick break. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified,
1: Uh, boy, we certainly live in a different world now. Uh, everything becoming digital, digitized. How does that change financial planning in a digital world? Well, Scott
3: and Don, you know it. It really does. And uh, so I, I thought I thought a good way to approach this is to look at this from FP Canada's point of view that we were just speaking about a segment ago, and uh, and then also from clients' point of view in terms of of how they seem to feel about it. So. Obviously, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Things are moving fast and furious in terms of uh, things being digitalized for you know for a number of different sectors. Uh, it's not you know it's not just media and retail and, and other sectors anymore. It's it's certainly has spilled over to a lot of areas, and the financial planning world is is certainly one of them. Um, and it's not just young young people by any means. Uh, people of all ages are are embracing the 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 benefits and and so on of uh of what what all this technology brings so one thing that that fp canada has uh, has certainly focused on is making sure that uh clients are at the center of of the strategy of of this digitalized world from from the financial planning perspective um so a lot of a lot of firms have already in our business. A lot of firms have already moved forward. Ours certainly uh, have made has made radical changes in the past uh, two and a half years. And certainly, as many many companies did through COVID, took advantage of of that period of time and developed a lot of different systems and and processes. And um, so I think I think uh, what has to be looked at is you know what are the benefits. And, and what are the potential downsides? And this is, from, this is from FP Canada's perspective. And Don and I can you know, attest to this because we're in that world in terms of, of uh, changing the way, evolving the way that we're, we're doing different things with clients. And, and that was out of necessity during COVID of course, but uh, it's proven to be uh, you know, very efficient in many respects in terms of tapping into the, uh, the, the systems that we have. So uh, what we have to make sure and what FP Canada wants to focus on too is that, that the level of service and, and as I mentioned a few moments ago, keeping clients at the, at the forefront uh, to make sure that, that the service is there. So uh, people are, are enjoying the, the benefits. Um, it's a time saver for sure. And, and it, you know, it doesn't just, certainly doesn't just benefit advisors. It, it benefits people because everyone's busy. And uh, when you can accomplish things uh, virtually or you can accomplish things in other ways, uh, not having to uh, have a client write a check for investments, we can we pull money, you know, there's so many different things that we can do now. And in um, the planning that we do with our, uh, our software that we use to do comprehensive plans, uh, it's, it's very much interactive and changes can be made in real time with the client. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of benefits there. There's a, so what FP Canada has announced that there's, a, there's actually a, uh, they, they've created a, a body called Intelligent Initiative. And they've done that in conjunction with financial planners, academics, regulators, and uh, technology experts. And what they're really doing is they, they're, they're trying to look at uh, what are some of the best ways to offer services from a digitalized standpoint uh, to, to clients. So, um, you know, it's, it's impacting everything that we do in life right now. So uh, as it relates to financial planning, it's, it's no different. Now, I just wanted to finish up with what from a survey that was done, what clients perspective is about all this this uh, digitalization in, in the way that they're dealing with their advisors. So 59%. Uh, who currently use a financial advisor really prefer this more digitalized uh, client experience and more than half who don't have a financial advisor are more likely to work with one who does provide this type of of service um, and can offer different personal financial scenarios very quickly uh, which, I, which I alluded to in terms of interactive plans and so on. In general, 87% of those surveyed are looking for the wealth management industry to provide a more modern, digitally-enabled client experience. So essentially wanting the same type of digital experiences, uh, whether it's video conferencing, online signatures, etc., uh, paperless transactions. They want that from their advisor, and that's what they're used to having in other, uh, other parts of their lives. The study also concluded that by going digital, clients have more transparency and can build and manage their, health, their wealth more efficiently. So many expressed a desire to work with advisors who can combine their extensive financial planning expertise and insights with best-in-class tools in order to provide a more seamless, modern experience. And that's really the best of both worlds for clients.
1: And, you know, when you think about it, it just allows for more transparency. I mean, I don't think I want to know. You know, I don't want to touch anything, but I want to see what's going on. Right. Right. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Donfox.net to find out more. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. A quick break here. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to use the last segment to talk about reverse mortgages. These have, You see a lot of advertising for these now, Don.
2: You, you do. And, and really, they started in the last couple of years as the home values were going up dramatically and interest rates are pretty low. Now, as I was trying to demystify bonds, and I probably confused even more people than I, I helped in the last segment, um, and feel free to reach out and ask about your portfolio and, and, and why it's gone down. And I certainly could easily help out on that side for you. Um, but yes, because there is a lot of people right now seeing their quarterly statements from September thinking, I've got this you know, 50% in bonds and it's guaranteed and it's gone down. Reverse mortgages are also interest rate sensitive. And so now you're getting, here we are, fast forward, you know, 10 and 11 months and we've had interest rates rise and the house values have gone down. The exact opposite of the situation we had a year ago for reverse mortgages and inflation's up. So you get these, unfortunately, older, generally they're, you know, they are for older people. First of all, um, you have to be 55 of age or older. And even then at 55 is not a um you can only get a very small portion of a reverse mortgage of the value of your house. As you get older, you can get a larger percentage of the value of your house lent back to you. So basically that, first of all, that is what a reverse mortgage is. Um, There's a few institutions that will lend you back part of the equity of your house. And in the U S stats, about 66% of of a person's net worth is on the value of the house. Okay. So you can see why it's so attractive. You know, you're, you might have run out of money, but you're sitting on a, on a big amount of money that is called your home and you've got, and you still want to live there. So that's the idea of, of a reverse mortgage. Well, you can borrow up to 55% of the value of the house. Again, this is based on, on age. And so it's not quite as attractive because now look at, a, say, a 70-year-old gets a third of their million-dollar home in a reverse mortgage. So they would get $333,000 given back to them. And right now, the five-year reverse mortgage rate would be about 7.99%. So that's the other side of the reverse mortgage they don't talk about, is you're paying more than the going rates for a normal mortgage. So it's very expensive. And so let's say you had 2% appreciation in the house. So the house started to go back and that's kind of the norm. Okay, this going up by 50% in two years is not normal. And so normally they, they will go up with inflation. And let's say, you know, you're, you're, you've got this money and five years later, you literally are down $55,000 because of all the interest. So even though, and that's after selling the house for 2% more. So you've, you've literally lost money on the reverse mortgage. Now. Not a big deal. The idea is that you are giving out, you're using some of the equity of the house. But uh, there's so many things that's wrong. So, so The first thing that comes to mind is, if you're in a position that you need a reverse mortgage, you might not have been the best at handling your money. Okay? That might be an assumption. Okay? I, and so, if you got this $333,000 now given to you, you might not make it's, you got to make sure you do the right things because it could be a, a real big debt spiral. All of a sudden, you've got this windfall, which is a 30 of year house given to you, and now you have to invest it to provide an income. Well, make sure you have a financial planner that gives you the right advice because that that could also disappear and then you've now have no choice. and you have to sell your house. and you're now down to about call it six hundred thousand dollars value. and now you have to use that money to invest that and get rent. So it could really backfire. Um, The first thing I would look at is, is look for a home equity line of credit first, because you can have flexibility with that. Unfortunately, if you have, if your back's against the wall and the only opportunity is reverse mortgage, you generally don't qualify for home equity line of credit. This should be done well in advance um, of needing a reverse mortgage. You could also use, instead of going five years, you can go one year mortgages right now. And so hoping that interest rates come down in a year. And so you're not locking your money up at 7.99% for five years. Um, the other part is, is drawing the funds when you need it instead of borrowing a lump sum. Quite often, they, they encourage you to say, okay, here's your $333,000. You can do what you will. It's better. You don't need $333,000. You only need you know $3,000 a month. That's a far more efficient way to do it, and this is where a home equity line of credit makes more sense. You're not paying interest on money that you don't need that you're not using, um, and so lenders lenders are are tricky this way. There's they're very as you mentioned, Scott, earlier. There's a lot of um, hoopla or commercials, etc., about the reverse mortgages. Um, the good news is they are federally mandated that there's no negative equity guaranteed. Meaning if you've used up all your house and you've now in a negative equity position. So on that million dollar example, you've used up all the million because the debt keeps going along and you've got this 330,000 and let's say you owe 1.2 million and you pass away. That that company cannot go after the estate for the other 200,000. So that's the good news. they are they do take on a little bit of extra risk. It is tax free money, while well, it is your money. It is you've lent you borrowed your own money, so it's tax free. and it is a possible solution. but I would definitely sit down with your certified financial planner to go over all your options before embarking on a reverse mortgage. <laughs>
1: We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here, certified financial planners from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. Another award winning show, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Have a great week.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900CHML.